live. All right. Uh, we're back with World Strongest Opinions, episode 22, 22 almost at 2022. Uh, episode 22. Uh, our guest today is uh, open class, pro strongman, world record holder of the Axel Deadlift, world strongest man competitor, Gabe Pena. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Uh, and, and you know, we were talking before here, um, I've actually had the pleasure of competing against you in the past, uh, which is really, really awesome. Um, and we can talk a little bit about that because there's, I mean, some funny uh, memories for me uh, from that competition. <laughs> Welcome to the show, man. It Thanks for coming. How, how the hell are you? I'm doing great, man. And like you said, it's been too long since I've seen your face, at least in person. I know it's through a screen right now, but I have fond memories of that winter, that early winter in December 2018, competing at a brewery at the Swallowsaurus 2. Swallowsaurus 2. Who is this guy that is just really rivaling me at every turn? We had to go all the way down to the stones in that competition, didn't we, you and I? We did. We did. And I made made a... I had a couple of bad mistakes in that competition, and I made a very fatal one on the Atlas Stone. Because I mean, and, and I'm not no excuses. I, I was all on me. I screwed up because you remember when we did the deadlift, the axle deadlift, yeah. I had successfully like held back because we were doing rep for rep for rep. Mm-hmm. And I got just an inch ahead of you or top by time and I asked my judge how many reps you had. And he told me and I just pulled one more and managed to pull off the win on that. And I tried to do the same thing on the Atlas Zone, and they gave me the wrong rep count. And so I slacked off, and it turned out like you were too ahead of me. <laughs> and I guarantee you, you're never going to forget that moment, are you? Never. Never. I mean, it was a, it's a I've been competing long enough to know better, and I still and I still didn't leave it all out on the field on the last event, which you should always, always do. We, always, we had a natural stone to shoulder on that contest. I remember. It's crazy sharp edges and everything, and I'm I'm watching the other guys. I'm like, all right, I'm not gonna have to work too hard. And then you go, and it, you're doing like one rep every three seconds. I'm like, oh man, this is turning into a cardio fest. Who is this well conditioned guy? Yeah, it's good to yeah. see. Yeah, man. But I mean, it was. I mean, I remember that that show. Um, you know, I think we. I know. I, I mean, it seems to me that you were kind of coming back from some injuries. You'd had some time off, so it was kind of a warm up show for you, of course. Um, but I remember too. I didn't. I didn't really know Gabe Penny at that time either. And we, it was a three-way tie, I think, on the on the max log press. I, I don't remember. It was like three twenty or something like that. And next thing I know, I'm watching your videos, and you're you're like strict pressing like three seventy. Yeah, yeah. I, I fondly remember that Swole Source Two Classic as uh, being kind of like my stepping stone back into like really getting competitive again. I had a real funky time between like 2017 and early 2018, just from injuries a broken hand focusing on wedding stresses and stuff like that that i i look back to that day in colorado as like when everything started climbing back up again yeah i mean you did you just like catapulted from that point it was i mean it was almost overnight you were yeah so that was december 2018 and then by march 2019 was california's strongest man where i got first yeah qualified to the arnold early there but then it was nationals later that year in 2019 where i got my pro card so it was kind of an upward trajectory from, from Denver. Back yeah, then. it was a hell of a stepping stone. I mean, it, it did what it needed to do for you. Yeah, it was fun, man. F- fun memories for dude, sure. Yeah, dude, excellent memory, man. That's definitely one of my uh, a memory of mine from competing that that will 
live with me to the to my to the end of my days. Uh, just a great competition, great atmosphere. I mean, that venue was amazing. The backdrop uh, was just beautiful for a small show. Well, breweries and strongman is just you know, and I took a lesson from that page, and I started. Uh, I'm not doing it this year, but I started hosting a strongman competition at a brewery, and it just people love it. Whether you're a competitor, a spectator, someone working there, it's always a good time. So, yeah, yeah man. So, um, you know, I've got a lot of questions. I know, I know, John's got a lot of questions. Um, we'll kind of bounce back and forth. That, as a matter of fact, John, I'll let you kind of kick off. I'll- yeah, I mean, welcome to the show. Of course, like it's great having you here and everything. Um, I had a ton of questions lined up. Now, now I'm put on the spot. And I'm terrible. <laughs> the, the pressure is on you, John. <laughs> But yeah, I was going to ask, um, what are your plans this year? You said, so you're not putting on beer stone. What are you going to do instead? Do you right. I made, I made a lot of changes last year in my own personal life to really focus on my goals and why I started working or walking this path in the first place. From day one, it's always been for the purpose of being world's strongest man. So uh, I had been running a gym since 2015, and I decided to close it down and focus on me back in uh, September of last year. So this year, 2023, is all about just giving my 100% effort towards those goals of becoming the world's strongest man. So it, uh, I might, I might not be on the roster for world's strongest man this year, which does kind of suck a little bit. But I've got some other competitions lined up throughout the year, starting with world's strongest Latino in Portugal this July. Nice. I'm really stoked for that one. It's a, uh, of course, great to represent my Latino roots there, and if I can get that title i mean that's one that i'm just going to carry with me till the day that i die i love it and and it'll be impossible for world's strongest man to overlook me when they put me on a roster again yeah yeah so that's uh that's the plan gearing all my efforts towards climbing to the top i've got world's strongest latino in july i'll be doing the an attempt at the american deadlift record in miami uh uh, this september and giant slide will probably have me over for the uh, world deadlift championships although official invites haven't gone out for that but i know i'm going to be on the giant slide tour for at least one contest later on this year so nice. focusing on those things right now and if i get invited as an alternate to something else then great i'll be ready to go but i uh i, I really want to claim some victories stand on top of podiums this year yeah, yeah. that makes sense because i was going to ask um i know it's a bit soon to bring up something like that but how um what's your process been like of not being invited to like world strongest man or the shaw classic how have you dealt with that i know it's a tough question and i feel no, like we're asking question, it. and it actually feels a bit cathartic to be able to talk about it because they're both swift blows to the gut and i mean yeah the, the the thing with the world's strongest man roster invite that sucks so much is they sent out an email months ago to let, telling some of us athletes, hey, you're a prospective pers- pers- athlete for 2023. Hold the date. You know, we might have you here. Here are the rough events of what you can start training for. And it's like, okay, you tell me this so many months in advance. Any of us who are dreaming of becoming world's strongest man, we're going to hold pause on everything else, even if it's riding on a freaking chance. So that's what I did. And I made calls to hold back on getting into other contests for the sake of my prep for World's 23. And then here comes the roster and I'm not on it, which I don't have anything negative to say about any of the guys who are on that roster. The thing about 2022 is it was a very competitive year and these guys had built up some impressive resumes. But the one aspect that sucks is like I've been there three times already. I competed twice, but been there three times. And they told me months out in advance, like, hey, you're going to be a prospective athlete, you know, gear your efforts towards training in case we call you. 
And the main reason I have a problem with that is I've gone to World's Strongest Man twice as an alternate. And I have no problem getting an invite a month out with no prep and be like, all right, let's do this. Because I didn't expect anything else up until that point. But flash to this year. But you got me expecting something and you take it away. It sucks. But you bring up the Shaw Classic too. And same thing about that roster. Just guys who have all proven themselves every (laughs) time. A lot of veterans on that roster who their resume speaks for itself. And I, I don't have anything negative to say about it. It's just like... Oh, I feel like I've proven myself at that stage, especially like I want that Hummer tire deadlift. I came so close to getting it last year. And that battle with Novikov was just one of my fondest memories in the sport. And it sucks not to be on that roster too. But what I will say on that is again, these past two years at the Shaw, I got in there at the last minute as an alternate. So I'm hopeful with that. My strategy, taking those without reacting to it too emotionally at first is like, Hey, these are put on by showrunners. If they decide that they're going to have a better show without you on it, so be it. You focus on the competitions you have and you stick it to them. Like, hey, you overlooked me this year and you missed out on a hell of a good show I could have provided. I will not give them the chance to overlook me again. Yeah. So what is, can you give us a little bit more insight on, uh, I mean, if you know, I mean, how does that kind of selection process go? Do you, do you kind of have any inside, um, kind of insight on on how that works and 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 what they ultimately look at for choosing i mean since it is kind of an invite only yeah um, yeah so i i will walk this line carefully because a lot of it it you don't want to get too speculative also right i mean understand that giants live is the official world's strongest man tour so even though world's strongest man is run by endeavor and img you know they work closely with colin bryce darren sadler and giants live to decide who they want to fill up this roster with because who knows better than one of the biggest strongman circuits in the world. That being said, if you compete at Giants Live, even if you don't get first or second or third place and you do well at their shows, like, hey, this guy showed up, put on a show in front of arenas full of people, even if he got like fourth, fifth, sixth place, he's a competitor. He might be one of our best choices to fill it. So that's what they look at. They look at a lot of the Giants Live shows. And I know, and this is one that kind of strikes a chord with me, is Australia's Strongest International was earlier this year in January. It was a show that I had every intention of doing very early on, but the reality as we got closer was traveling to Australia is a very expensive endeavor, and as a new father with expenses, it just wasn't in the cards for me. World's Strongest Man wound up taking quite a few athletes who competed there at Australia's Strongest International, and regardless of their placing, as you competed there, we know that you're competing at a high level against guys like Mitchell Hooper, right. against guys like Eddie Joe Williams, and you know, in the domain of Coco Corum Booth, that we can invite these guys because they have put FaceTime in that pro circuit. But it's a it is an invite only contest, you know, and so yeah. it's complete discretion at what the promoters think is going to give them a good show. And from the promoter standpoint, you have an abundance of athletes all throughout the world. Who do you have that first-hand representation with of you know what kind of show they could put on? It's the right. ones that came and competed at your show. So Yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of a common theme. I mean, that we're hearing, you know, as we're getting in, uh, uh, interviewing higher-level athletes such as yourself, is that there's kind of that uh, entertainer aspect to the, the FaceTime you get in front of the people that are putting on the shows, right? Because, I mean, the reality is, is that you know, somebody's going to take first and somebody has to take last. Taking last doesn't necessarily mean you're bad, per se, but that last person could still get an invite if they have the entertainment value on the field, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's what they want. They want a good show because let's not forget, you know, that it's very easy for this show running force to have their favorite picks. You know, you got the Alexi right. Novikovs, the Tom Stolmans, the Brian Shaws. They, in their minds, they already have that 10 finalists of who's going to make it. They just right. want to fill up the other spots to see who's going to give them the best run for their money in their minds, you know? Right, right. If you're a good competitor and you compete at the pro, at the highest level of the pro circuit, then you got a good chance of being invited. But yeah. yeah. Do you, have you ever considered, and, and, and I know this is a tough question because SCL doesn't always, which I'm always disappointed that it doesn't have a better reputation, but have you ever considered uh, getting on the SCL circuit for exposure? Uh, yeah, the World's Strongest Latino is actually part of the SCL circuit. Oh, it is? Yeah, yeah. So that, that'll oh. be my first. I did not realize it. Yeah, with the SCL circuit. I'm pretty excited for that too. Okay. It great. Has really great shows across the world. I know I'm very fondly watch a lot of Travis Ortmeier's experiences competing in the SCL or even the, the Cotton Brothers too, yeah. or the Hodge Brothers for that. Like there's a yeah. good show. So I'm excited to get my feet wet with them, but this will be my, my first SCL outing. Good. I mean, I, I keep saying this over and over and over. I love the SCL. Um, I've competed at their under one of five worlds a couple of times. Uh, and even, even at that level, they put on a great production um i mean it's it's literally I, I mean you know they all broke away from um wsm at one time right uh, ifsa and the guys that run scl now all they all kind of split around the same time in the early 2000s so so the quality and really the a similar i'm not gonna say similar format per se because scl does do things a little differently as far as um you know, point accumulation from show to show to show to get your invite, which I think is really fair. Um, I mean, I guess there's some drawbacks to it, right? It favors the guys that have the the finances to travel all over to every show, but um, like they put on a great, great production. Like it is a very, very high quality show. Once it is cut and released, it's as good as World's Strongest Man. Yeah. And the one thing I, I do really admire about it is that it seems to touch so many different corners of the world and not to say it as a negative towards Giants Live, but how many of their shows are all UK based? You know, when you when you get a sampling of athletes from that island, essentially that big island, it's uh, especially for when the athletes, you know, in this sport, you get a lot of two weeks, three week out injuries where it's like, well, who do we scramble to find to fill the spot? Someone who lives nearby. Yeah. It's good to see the SEL competitions branch out across the world a little bit more. And uh, Portugal is an exciting one to go to, man. It's, uh, yeah, man. I would love to go to Portugal. Latin American roots are very tickled by that one. Yeah. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm excited for you with that. But, you know, just a little bit more on SEL. And you kind of pointed, touched on a, a really good point. Um, it was very noticeable last year that, that so many people going to World Star Man were, it was so heavy UK and US. Yeah. Right. Whereas SCL has a very diverse athlete body, which yeah. is really amazing. Well, when you have a title for called the world's strongest man, it's you want to have a sampling from the world. You don't. You it, and I understand there are strength epicenters around the world, but you still have these nations that have several millions of people of demographic where they need representation. So absolutely. Uh, whether it's awareness of knowing that they're not having these competitions just branch out a little bit more geographically, it just does wonders for the sport and motivating people in those countries who don't have the representation. 
And that was one of the coolest things about being a Latino athlete and uh, being the, the first Hispanic Latino to compete at World's Strongest Man. I had an outpour of Latinos worldwide just reach out to me. Just even though I was carrying the Mexican flag from a heritage, you have all the Latin countries worldwide across the sea just stoked to see a Latino athlete there. And something that was as simple as just representing my heritage meant so much more for those underrepresented parts of the world. And I think when we find that global unity through this sport that we all love, that just adds even more beauty to it and something to strive for, definitely. Indeed, indeed. Amen to that, man. Yeah, I think I think it really is impressive because Darren and I have often talked about the fact that sometimes it can be kind of like siloed of people typically only think of like what's happening in the UK or the US when realistically, like you said, it is world's strongest man. Cause I feel like, especially years ago, I remember watching all the old shows. You had shows happening in Africa, you had them happening around the world. And now it's these days, it's like, well, is it going to be in Florida or is it going to be somewhere in the UK? And you're like that. Yeah. There are more places in the world than California, Florida. I'm, I'm very glad it's not in Sacramento again this year. <laughs> <laughs> and those 112 degree days were rough, but uh, it's. It, I'm glad that they moved it to the other shore, but it's still another U.S. show. And I get it. I mean, you get the whole economic value of it, and it's a U.S. based company. Like, if you're not having to spend so much resources putting it somewhere else, you can put it more back into the show. Ideally, right? But. Who knows? Who knows what the future has in store? I, I'm, I'm sure that the production team at World's Strongest Man knows that they've had it on American soil all these years that it's going to be time in the near future to get on uh, foreign territory within, in another country. But we can't forget COVID threw a big wrench in it, too. So, I mean, that's, a, that's I kind of assume that was a big part of it. Um, COVID, I mean, because it, it, it seems like they've really just kind of stuck to the U.S. the last few years since COVID. Um, so hopefully that changes again now that, you know, I mean, we probably still have some, some, some uh, hills to climb, I think economically in the world economy, but hopefully, you know, things, things improve for the better and, and World's Finest Man starts getting out into some of these uh, other countries again. Cause I mean, that, I mean, that was, I was, I mean, that's really uh, kind of traditional World's Finest Man again is they used to go all over the world. They, they did, but I will say a, a good silver lining to getting to allocate more resources to growing the show because we're having it domestically as Americans is we have seen World's Strongest Man begin its evolution, if you will, towards not just being this TV show that you only have to tune in on Christmas or Thanksgiving or on holidays for. You have, if you follow their social medias now, they're always pumping out content. You know, you've got a lot of things that you can follow these athletes all throughout the year and just feel more engaged with it than just being able to tune in on those specific days. And I think the demand is there. And I know world's strongest man has just been adamant about it every turn that they will not do it live, but how much have we seen live streaming exponentially flourish over these past few years? Like the people want it and the people are the viewers putting in the money. Like it's, it's going to have to happen. I think we're starting to see that transition. I think so. Cause especially, I mean, you see rogue, they do their streams. And then what's crazy is literally by the end of the day on YouTube, they actually cut out the unique events and you can watch them as standalone things. So there is like huge potential there because you imagine of like a lot of their streams, you'll have thousands and thousands of people watching live, but then by the next day you have millions of views on these things. So I think, 
God. The way Rogue has done it really has set the game because you can yeah. watch a really long live stream if you want, but it's also well cut up by the next day or even that night, which is always impressive. And Giants Live was doing that too. They've been doing that for the past few years. Yeah. I, mean, I know their live stream every now and then has some patchy times, which all live streams are going to have, but <laughs> they got all those clips on YouTube the next day. And then you have millions of fans who are, may not have been able to catch the live stream, but they're able to tune in and support. Mm-hmm. And it's things like that that will continue to grow the sport and make this world, without how big as it is, feel just a little bit smaller and more connected in this aspect. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we talk again. A recurring theme. We talk about that so much on the show. Um, you know, big shout out to Clash again because I think they really, Clash really uh, put it in overdrive, uh, coming out and really putting a lot of time, effort, and thought into formatting a live stream show that runs fast and smooth. Um, and I think. I really believe that if more promoters and organizers start adopting that format that Clash has, has shown works really well, I, I mean, I really think the sport has a, a chance to really take off from there because then it becomes very consumable from for an audience perspective. Um, you know, there's nothing like Rogue is doing that uh, live stream, but like me, I try to try, I always try to put myself. I am a fan, right? We're all fans, obviously, as athletes. But I try to put myself in the shoes of just just a fan, like somebody that maybe isn't a competitor, because uh, you got you know you have those fans. Football's full of them, right? Guys have never played football, but they're huge fans. That's the kind of people we want, strong man. Um, I would never, I could never see them watching an all day show for you know one event every hour, eight hours, whatever it was that road, right? It's That's not hard. palatable. It's not palatable, and. It's not palatable. If the reason the the Giants Live model works so well is you have a roster of ten athletes and the whole show is done within two hours, that's palatable. But those, even I think of the world's strongest man days for us who are there as athletes, but the spectators who go there on site, man, they are there for ten to twelve hours for two events. Yeah, it's 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 tough to do that. But on the on the clash subject, one thing that just stands out as a real stark milestone is. The ESPN coverage too. I mean, this is like the holy grail of exposure yeah. for sport. And strongman has just been historically such a niche, very uh, obscure type sport that even to this day, the the general public doesn't really know about it. But there's another stepping stone that the Clash series has kind of paved the way for. And a, and another accolade for Clash is over the past three years, especially, you have seen a lot more of a spotlight given to the weighted class athletes. And I know a lot of that credit goes to official strongman games and hosting the world's strongest four-way class athletes. But we have seen attention focus, uh, not not necessarily focus away from the open class athletes, but to get a little bit more wide angle to encompass all the different shapes and sizes of strength across the weight classes and across right. genders too. And that's that's I feel like all these little efforts to grow the sport and to make it flourish to become more consumable by not just the pure diehards, but a lot more of the general public. It's going to do massive things for for just making it better for us all. A, a rising tide raises all ships, right? That's it's, right. It's, yeah. it's pretty exciting to think about what happens in another three years in the horizon. 
Because, I mean, it's made a huge difference of I didn't do any sort of competing in strongman or anything until 2020. Oddly enough, I didn't do anything social and I stayed at home for like years and then COVID happened. And suddenly I was like, I cannot be in my house any longer. And strongman in Texas was the only thing putting on events. Yeah. So I started just getting into strongman just because I couldn't like, as a software engineer working remotely, I had to be around people. So it's been funny to think of like the vast difference the past three or four years has made and to think that like a lot of these things of espn didn't have anything else to cover so they helped cover strongman as well because strongmen were the only people still doing a lot of things in 2020 which is interesting to think of like how many doors that opened for being a very strange year of like and it's only going up from there well espn uh debuted for clash in 2021 so 2020, uh, it did. So 2020 was their first year. It was a tough year because of COVID. Um, we had we had a huge roster of international athletes that couldn't make it because COVID, because the U.S. was not allowing anybody into the U.S. at that point in time, at least not. I can't remember what the uh, – I'm sorry. Uh, I'm a year off. Um, it was 2022 that ESPN actually debuted class, and it was 21 that it started. But there was still um, – vaccination um, restrictions coming into the United States. So a lot of people couldn't make it. I think we had, man, I don't think anybody other than, than uh, um, Isaac Mays from Canada made it that year. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I actually kind of look at, at clashes is, is recapturing ESPN because World Stars Man used to have its spot on ESPN every Christmas. Until until uh, CrossFit took that spot and bumped them to you know what are they on the CBS Sports now? Yes, CBS. And so so clashes really come back and I mean they're kind of the crusaders of, of strongman and they've recaptured the holy land. Man. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, and one of the the great things about putting a spotlight on the weighted class athletes too is when you look at the open divisions, you got the mind automatically goes towards like the six foot eight, six foot 10 giants, like Brian and half Thor. And it's like, yeah, I mean, this is great. This is fun to watch them because it's like, you're, you're going to the circus, like watch big man lift big stone. But then when you see an athlete, who's 230 pounds, you see him do something incredible, like push 400 pounds overhead on an axle. It's like, this guy isn't that much bigger than me. Like I could see myself training really hard over years to where I could be strong like him too. I don't have to be this six foot 10 behemoth. And I think that aspect is something that CrossFit has playing in this corner too, is making it more accessible, showing people that they are too capable of doing things like this. And that's just more unity through strength. And that's just the, the growing element of this all. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. And we have Emmanuel Pescari, great friend of the show. He's my height and just like insanely strong of Austria's strongest man. So I, I think you do have more and more people stepping up because like recently Darren and I got involved in a brief bit of controversy over calling weight class athletes baby monster trucks, which caused like a whole thing. Of, <laughs> Darren said he didn't want to, he would never want to watch baby monster trucks. So everyone was like, no, baby monster trucks are great, which is actually a great concept. But it's interesting to think of a lot of people are saying, well, now you have lightweight and these like under 80, under 90, and 105 people who can actually do some of the weights you're seeing at the top level. So I think it's only opening things up. I mean, you have, I mean, he's not a strong man, but you have John Hack with the world's craziest deadlift for just like 
and he's one of the guys who still can compete at 198 sometimes. So I think we are seeing an all new era of strongman in a way, because it is like, it has become accessible and hopefully will continue to be a global event as more and more countries open up. So it's been exciting overall. It is. And I'm very optimistic about the continued growth because there's something, I mean, we think to some of the earliest memories for each of our own individual paths, like whether it was lifting a stone for the first time or pushing a truck in the parking lot, like, when you discover that element of that, hey, you have some power and you're capable of some pretty cool stuff, that is more than enough motivation to keep you walking down this path to at least see what else you can do. And that's pretty freaking cool, if I may say so. Yeah. Yeah, because there, there are so many things of like the world, the strongman world is small enough that like I haven't been in it that long, but I'm really blessed to be able to talk to people like you and like meet Darren and so many people. And I think it is just starting to like really take off as long like with all these things and once again i i haven't said it yet but you have the greatest voice in strong man that's one of the <laughs> things i would have added to your intro well, of just like the best voice in strong man thanks man i i i get compliments on that a lot and i it's i guess i gotta thank my yeah. mom bad for that but i'm glad i get to use <laughs> the gift on microphones like this and through my podcast too it's 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 fun getting to use my voice to keep the passion growing yeah, the first time I heard your podcast, I was like, that man, that that's a voice up there with like Morgan Freeman, like a caliber I, I, voice. I like. my shouldn't say Marvin Gaye, but <laughs> oh, yeah, a little deeper. You're almost there, actually. Yeah. We'll see what I can work on that for you. But yeah, maybe some voiceovers in the future. Yeah, you could definitely like they have the sleep meditation channels on YouTube where it's like 15 minutes to an hour to just like talk you down. You I've had ones like that. I've had requests <laughs> for people to like they want me to read them bedtime stories. Uh, I'll put it on videos. <laughs> I, I haven't done it yet. I know there's some legal issues with that. So <laughs> <laughs> weird requests. Yeah, I can see that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's one thing that's certain about this sport. No matter what, um, the the people you meet along the way is incredibly i mean it's, it's just one of the best things about the sport i mean it's what kept me in it the camaraderie the people you meet uh no matter what happens with the sport i mean that's something that, that no one can ever take away from us and and that's uh to me is what i love about the sport the most i agree 100 it's, it's a very common recurring answer whenever i talk to any you know people i meet through the sport or guests on my show whatever is like what What's the greatest thing about the sport? And it's always the relationships that you build. Yeah. It's it's knowing that we put so and the competition days when you meet all the other like-minded individuals who tirelessly work in the dark corners of their gym and the wee hours of the night to just build this package to unleash on one day for five minutes of good feelings. <laughs> and they all get it. Everyone gets it. But we all want to push each other. We want to see who's the best. And it creates a very unique environment that you don't find in other sports, especially for a sport that's so self-driven by just the individual you know a, a solitary sport in one way when you get the coming together of all of us it's impossible to keep us apart from each other because we all get it we, yeah. we understand the path yeah because it, it's that's one thing that really impressed me is i was surprised of like you hear people talking about other sports how competitive things are and i was surprised like the first time doing a strongman show of like warming up and having people you're competing against be like hey actually try this technique like you're almost there, but you could do it better. And having people like finish an event before you and then come over and like give you tips to be like, do it, do it. Like, 
It's so it's cool. Just always impressed by that because it's crazy to have people that you're and you see it at the highest level. You'll have hear stories about like world's strongest man of people giving each other tips of being like, "Hey, I just did the stones; they were terrible. Try this or whatever." Yeah, and everything. You've even had Darren got stone advice from Brian Shaw one time. He didn't take it, but he did get advice. That was that was my my one another big mistake that I made on Stones Gabe. <laughs> I never learned. I never learned. <laughs> well, you know, we we can stay optimistic, right? If you got any more stone loads coming up, maybe listen to that Shaw advice that you got in the past. But yeah, it is cool. I have really good memories of my first World Strongest Man in 2020. Nick Best was there, and he was. He's freaking Nick Best, veteran to the sport. He's just giving us advice. All of us rookies there at one of the dinners prior to the first day of competing. Like it was just one of the coolest things because at my as my first world's strongest man experience in 2020, I didn't know what to expect. You know, you know how things are at the amateur level, at the national level, and at the Arnold, but then how's it gonna be like when you got these guys who are all vying for that top spot at this world stage? It's the same thing. Everyone's still so humble. And I will tell you though, if you do find someone who's not approachable or humble or doesn't have the same like camaraderie aura that we're all emanating, they must be a freaking power lifter. <laughs> they must have come over to our side recently. Yeah. <laughs> I remember once in a while you run into those guys like that are I mean they're very, very focused in in, in their head, right? And yeah. I think it's important. I mean some of those guys are are some of the have become some of my best friends in the sport. Um so, I mean, it's, it's important to note that, that just because somebody isn't talkative doesn't mean that they're arrogant or a jerk or standoffish. They're just, they're focused, man. And, and sometimes it, it, you know, for different people, it, it requires, uh, you know, different levels of focus and, and uh, whatnot. So. Oh, absolutely. And it's, it's one thing, you know, like when the competition <laughs> is in the heat of the moment, you know, when competitors are still waiting to go. But it's once everything's done, you know, once you don't have to be focused because the content yeah. is done, that's when it's like all good feelings. But yeah, I always yeah, tell my athletes like don't waste any energy on social interactions on the day of contests. Like yeah. you are there for a job, get the job done, then you can socialize. But Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's uh, I learned that lesson early, at least. Because uh, I used to be, I used to be the guy on the field, just like screaming at everybody that's going right. I'm so excited for everybody, and then by by the last event, you know, usually like, Atlas Stone, I was just like so wiped out. <laughs> I couldn't finish. Really good, good, good appreciation for how much energy every little interaction takes out of you, even yeah. if you're being passive about it. It's that's tough on a contest day, especially the ones that last a really long time. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. and that's not just, I think contest sometimes of trying to like have that value prioritization because i was thinking you mentioned is that last september is when you closed down your gym to focus on like really making sure like that you had everything going on and that's right about the time we started our podcast because i remember darren and i started talking more and trying to find those things of like oftentimes you start to realize how much energy little interactions and things you do in your life take and it's like if I need to allocate this much energy to something, can I afford to give away this much energy all day long or all week to these certain things? And especially comp day, you think those things of like a conversation when you're already slightly dehydrated or like struggling, those are extra things, extra bits of energy you might not want to do. Yeah. Those, use, are so. all, those are all lessons that come with experience though. And you'll, you'll find <laughs> all too often. I even think of myself, you know, just two years into the sport, I had no idea 
of these energy budgets that we have to be so mindful of. And it, you walk this path for long enough, you know, you start spreading yourself thinner and thinner, you know, whether it's opening up a gym, coaching more athletes, talking to people on show days, whatever it be, we all have a very finite energy budget. And the one who manages that budget the most efficiently is going to be the one with that surplus of power to just allocate to wherever they want it. And that's a whole different type of maturity in this sport, but it's the one that's essential. And you can either discover it on yourself or you can be fortunate to have mentors or coaches along the way to kind of shortcut that process. But definitely a necessary step is understanding how we're all just human. None of us have this infinite abundance of energy that we can just go about and do everything with. I wish we did. That would be really good on trying to get the work. <laughs> you mean you mean that eating seven grams of creatine isn't going to make me like Superman? No, no. <laughs> hate to break it to you, but the creatine monster is just not going to come out with that. <laughs> so, who are your mentors that you would say have helped you like along the journey of like if you want to highlight some people or who kind of got you into the sport and how how have you grown or? Who's helped you along the journey? Yeah, so I, I my getting into the sport was traced back all the way to my childhood, getting uh, to spend holidays with family. You know, whether it be up in Austin with my grandparents or down where I currently live now in South Texas with my other family my, on my dad's side, watching the world's strongest man on Thanksgiving mornings with my dad and my grandpa by my side as a kid, and just seeing these guys pull airplanes or, you know, lift the giant Atlas stones or full wooden logs that looked like trees. Like I saw that and I'm like, these are real life superheroes. It would be so cool to be able to do that, but these guys are larger than life. And I'll never be able to do that. But then flash forward to when I started weightlifting, I got into rugby right after college and I started really building my platform and realized it's possible. And all those memories from way back in childhood flash back. It's like, hey, you do have the ability to do this. If you just keep working at it, you can do it. And I just pushed on. I never had a coach. To this day, I've always been my own coach. But that being said, I've always tried to take knowledge, advice, and experience wherever I could, whether it's through research or someone giving it to me who's been doing it longer. Um, a big mentor that I've had from very early on, and even before he knew he was a mentor, was Brian Shaw. And he's a, a guy, especially in the more recent years of my life, becoming a, a husband and a father. This is a guy who has pushed the limits of what we all thought was humanly possible consistently, has achieved world titles, and is just totally kicking ass at being a dad, a husband, uh, a, an entrepreneur. Like it's, uh, And of course, managing to be one of the hum most humble guys on the planet still. And it, it's really hard to not have someone like that motivate you to just be your best self. But I have consistently found, especially when once I did turn pro and getting to compete at these really upper circles of the sport, bad apples don't get up there. You know, it's these guys who are just so well-driven and have their focuses in life and goals and ambitions well-aligned with just positive, constructive efforts. It's hard not to be motivated by a lot of them but i will say brian shaw was definitely a big one from very early on and i met him for the first time in person in 2016 at my first arnold and it's a uh, pretty cool now to just reflect on that and all the inspiration that i got from him over the years and now know that he's a friend like it's it's powerful but there's a there's been a lot of strong driving forces along the way and that the ability for all of us to walk this path with any sort of longevity 
is completely based off of those positive influences along the way too. So I feel very grateful to be here from all those relationships and networks built and inspiration from people like Brian. But it's been fun also knowing that I have been my own coach along the way too. And my efforts have been completely reflective of my own ability to dig and learn more. But that being said, I have entertained the idea of a, of getting a coach at some point just for the sake of trying it to see if there's, you know, it's uh, like with these recent changes that I've made. You know, it's like, do I want to leave a single stone unturned? Because someone might, it would be foolish for me to think that I know everything that I can keep doing on my own. We'll see if I eventually do get a coach, but right now I'm still doing my own programming. That's, a, that's impressive though um I, I mean that's that's an underrated accomplishment to to train yourself and be your own coach and make it as far as you have um i mean that's that's huge that's a that's a very underrated accomplishment um but I, i'm kind of with you too there is a point i think that you know having a coach to learn something else that you know that you may be overlooking or just somebody to collaborate with to bounce ideas off of can be really powerful. Uh, but but no, kudos to you to, to have made it this far. Well, thanks, brother. Thanks. The, the, I keep telling myself in my head, like, the only response to if someone said, well, why don't you get a coach? It was like, oh, I don't need it. Well, what type of response is that? It's an arrogant response. You know, you think about it more and more, like you said, even someone to bounce ideas off of or someone – could very easily know just like one minute detail about my log press that I wasn't picking up on, and that could be a game changer. Yeah, we could trace it all back to that. But I'm not gonna lie, watching uh, you know, guys like Hooper and, and Bobby just completely kill it, and they're being coached by laws. It's like, well, what's in the water that laws is giving them, man? I'm <laughs> right looking into his athletes are incredible. Of seeing like Andrea Thompson is just like wild up there, and Mitchell Hooper, I don't know what, what he's made of, but past two years for him i've just been maple syrup, I think. oh yeah maple syrup and kindness, syrup and kindness. <laughs> but i think that is hugely important though being able to coach yourself is a lot because it does take a, a substantial amount of introspection and being able to like coach yourself and do things that you might not be good at because most of us when we're doing our own programming myself included, I'm bad at overhead, so I just don't do as much overhead as I should. Yeah. So it's always impressive when people still continue to be a well-rounded athlete rather than just kind of honing in and saying, oh, I'm just going to be a pressing specialist or I'm just going to do this. Yeah, well, that is very I, can impressive. See it. I can see it from the athletes that I coach too. Like when I give them a conditioning day that has like a sandbag medley, for example, I can just see the look on their face, even though I'm not seeing it, that when they open their work, they're like, oh, I don't want to do this, but just because I'm paying for a coach and he gave it to me, I'm going to do it. It's that added pressure, right? But if I wrote that on myself, like, I hate circus dumbbell, and like you said, you with overhead press, it's like, I'm less inclined to force myself to do it just simply because I don't like it. I guarantee you, if I was paying someone else to do it, that's what they spoon-fed me, there's a little bit of extra pressure to like, all right, I guess I got to get this thing done. I think there's also a, there's also a point in your, in your uh, like, athletic growth or personal growth, too, um, and, and I think that probably most everybody will probably get there at some point in time is understanding that that is the, those are the areas that you hate the most are the areas you have to work on the most. And, and I know I experienced it myself in the last couple of years, cause actually kind of similarly to you, Gabe, I, I trained myself until two years ago, I hired a coach 
And, um, and I kind of knew going out what I needed, um, where my weaknesses were. And I kind of made that con- conscious effort. Like I'm going to hire somebody that's going to force me to work on those weaknesses. Right. And, and I was unfortunately able to embrace it, even though it sucked a lot. Right. Um, but, but I kind of look, kind of reflect back. And I think there was just a point, like, I don't know if it was, a uh, uh, an epiphany or what that, that kind of, you know, a light that went off in my head is like, if I want to be better, I have got to start doing these things that I keep avoiding because avoidance is what's keeping me from avoiding my, you know, my, my long-term or my ultimate goals. So that's always something that's so easy to teach or to, to advocate from the third person perspective. But once yeah. it becomes the first person, it's like, it's very, it's very tough to do, but necessary at all costs because we go back to that whole leave no stone unturned mindset and you're, you're doing yourself injustice if you leave that one just face down on the ground, you know? Exactly, exactly. And another, you know, thing we talk about a lot in the show too is um, I'm a big fan of going outside of the sport as well, um, especially if somebody like, like, like you with as much experience as you have, you probably don't need a strongman coach to tell you how to strongman. You know how to strongman, right? You need a coach to teach to, to show you or help you with the things that you don't know, which you know, I don't know what your weaknesses are for, for per se. Mine were was just being unathletic in general, right? So I went to a sports performance uh, coach. Uh, that was my weakness. And so I think it's there's a lot of value outside of the sport. And and I mean the sport brings in a lot of things like throwing, go to a Highland Games, uh, right? Or, you know, if we you're doing something that's high intensity, maybe working with somebody in CrossFit, there's so much to learn outside of strongman that benefits strongman. Um, I do think that we do, again, getting back to what John said earlier, we kind of get siloed in strongman and like everybody's looking for more strongman, but the reality is, is there's so much more value that we can bring into strongman from outside. I agree. And we got to see uh, from a very uh, new perspective on that specific subject this past World Strongest Man in 2022, Brian Shaw brought Joe Ken, former NFL coach, on as his coach. Not a strongman coach, but a football coach. And this is just me speculating. That is, just tells me that Brian knew that he had some athletic weaknesses, that he needed someone with that athletic background to really help him capitalize on. And after getting to meet and even work in with Brian and, and Joe on some of their sessions, I think that effort was obviously completely, you know, uh, choreographed for exactly what Brian needed. And we got to see one of the prime conditioned Brian's last year. And I know we got to see it amongst a new wave of just incredible talent like Novikov and Hooper and Martins to where it's a very different type of era than it was when Brian won his first title. But I think those efforts that he made to bring Joe Ken on as coach really had some positives come out of them necessary positives too yeah because big boy needs to be able to move you know absolutely 100%. <laughs> like an nfl coach to, to help one do that yeah you have to be able to move you have to be able to breathe and get through the events i mean that's a, even, even getting to work with with joking and brian on some of the sessions that i was there like things as simple as warm-up exercises or hip activation stuff things i would have never found from a strongman type coach yeah. Just those nuggets of knowledge and experience that X amount of years he had working as a coach in the NFL really can kind of bring new insight into there's things I learned from those few sessions I still use in my warm-ups today. I used them in my shoulder warm-up last night just because they hit so good. 
Yeah. I, I can't go into that confidential information here on the show, but <laughs> <laughs> of what you're Top talking. Secret warm up. Yeah, it's locked in the vault <laughs> key. Yeah, man. Um, I, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer. I mean, Starman coaches have their place, of course, you know. But the more the more elite athlete you get, the longer you're in it, the less you need somebody to tell you how to do Starman. Right? I mean, it just it, it seems just pretty natural and obvious to me. Um, and we know that the more elite the more elite the athlete is, the less uh, the more or actually the more specific they need to start getting right. Yeah. The generalized movements start to uh, provide. I, how do I word that? There's not really a diminishing return, but you you definitely need to start focusing on on those those specific weaknesses a lot lot more the more elite you become. Right, right. Those those holes in the armor will be something that are very costly if you can't fix them because you anyone who's like you said at the high enough level they've they've got the armor there. It's just who's going to have that knowledge and insight to just fortify all those tiny little weak spots. Exactly. And it involves sometimes thinking outside of the box of strong. It really does. It, it definitely does. Cause I mean, we brought it up in our last show with Tom and stuff, but you think of like, you can be a master of four events, but if you zero or get last place on one event that can set you back hugely. Whereas if you get second or third place in every single event, you've only lost four to eight points right there versus nine points on one event, which is huge. Yeah. And a good example of that. Mitchell Hooper at the Arnold a, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, because yeah, he didn't place first in anything. He did, did not he? place first in anything, but he placed first in the whole damn show. Yeah. yeah. Points game. Points game is consistency. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. yeah. Be good at everything. I'm not so sure that Brian hasn't done that in the past either. Um, one without taking a first. I feel like I feel like there's a competition. I don't know if it was Worlds, Arnold, or what it was, but I, I feel like he's he's pulled that off a couple of times himself. With as long and colorful as a resume as you have, I would not be surprised. But right. Strongman history is not something I'm pinpoint accurate on just because I I, I, I remember just the highlights. But yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he's done. We need he's, Andrew Clayton for that. Yeah, Andrew Clayton's Andrew, he's he's a strongman archivist. Yeah, he, he like, could live like a strongman historian. Yeah, I think he listed all the winners from 2008 till now. And then he knew like the winners for like the years that you were born. Wow, that's so, impressive. Which was, I got yeah. to have my podcast right after his victory at OSG. It was pretty cool, but I did not know he was as a pinpoint of a strongman history buff as he is. Yeah. Yeah, he's we, a driven individual. Like anything that he's into, he's good at. Yeah. We, quizzed think, him, I, we quizzed him hard, and he, he passed without fail. Oh, man. At Giants Live in Glasgow in 2021, they in one of the pre-show interviews, they asked me to name all the world's strongest man victories, like starting from the previous year and as far back as I could, I pathetically only got like three or four years back, man. It was <laughs> despicable, but you know, it's, I care more about the present day. <laughs> yeah. That's why I really love history. I just can't remember dates to save my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really exciting. But, um, there's some other question. Oh, Yanni, a uh, friend of the show, Yanni Bear. Yeah, he's, he's done. Yeah, he was gonna. He wanted me to. He made me promise to ask you why you like to punish people with ammonia on live streams. He said while well, commentating. Uh, <laughs> Yanni has had the privilege of being a, a co-host, a co-commentator on live streams with me multiple times before. And there's always that point where you know you. You got, I'm sure, before you knew what ammonia was, it's like, what are these people just smelling right there? So the audience 
on these live streams, you get to see all the athletes puff on ammonia. So we talk about it, let them know what they're they're sniffing on. So all the grandmas and grandpas at home don't think that they're doing drugs just by <laughs> sniffing it right out of a bottle. And who better than Yanni right next to me with a fresh, it's always a fresh can of like Skull Smash or Cerberus Hellfire or something. Fresh. Hold it right up to his nose, have him close his eyes and just let the tears fall. It's so great for the camera and he hates it. <laughs> He's a good sport. I'm glad he remembers it. A little PTSD, I'm sure, but yeah. <laughs> takes like a champ i don't think i ever did that uh the cerberus hades on him that top top of the line one that so strong it only lasts for like a week or two but yeah he's, he's lucky we haven't done that one he probably would have <laughs> something to smell yeah i've always been a big fan of skull smash steve's great yeah. those little handwritten notes he would put in your package when you got the stuff or like one time i ordered some stuff and he didn't have the exact one i wanted so he's like i feel bad about this i can like i'll throw in a free shirt with your order and i'll just make you a custom batch of ammonia that no one's ever had before and he gave me some sort of like citrus whiskey ginger ammonia or something it was incredible it was just in this black plain bottle no label or anything wow you got batch like, right there yeah i was like it was very impressive like so i'm always impressed by those small businesses that pull that stuff off it's the small touches like that that let you know that you're not just a corporation that doesn't really care about your money but someone who's every little purchase means a good amount to them i I love it and we find so much of that in the sport too you know because it's it's really cool supporting those yeah and because it is like a really small world and stuff of like these small brands of like trying to help support them and it's great i mean you have behind you of like barefoot shoes and evolution athletics have been great about supporting athletes and stuff so it's really neat seeing like as companies take off like sharing that forward and spreading that forward yeah and to see them grow from those those conscientious efforts to to help everyone and i think i said it earlier on the on the show right now the the whole mindset of the raising tide raises all ships it's it's i'm I'm glad to work with these two brands behind me because they've done a lot for helping me grow and helping the sport grow and watching them continue to succeed gives me a lot of pride and I think uh, a good point, uh, again, uh, I'm, I'm just hammering points home that we bring up here on the minutes. <laughs> Strongman, in general, the community needs to to step up a bit and support uh, the sponsors and these companies that are out here supporting them a bit more. Um, we, we see this far too often. We talk about it a lot, that we've got all kinds of great um, companies like Kratos is a is a big one we're big fans of big friends with uh andrew there um is helping these guys out uh, you know a lot of them are doing this for the love of the sport to help athletes and it's really important that as athletes we're giving back as much as we can um because in the long run uh i mean it is it's a it's a big kind of circle it comes back to all of us in the end so yeah on that note i would definitely encourage like any competitors that are listening to the show right now, when you sign up for a competition on Iron Podium, when you go scroll down, look at, you know, the competition events and the weights, look at all those sponsors there on the roster. Like, look look and see who else helping to put the show together and just check out their Instagram or something because if they're putting effort to growing the show that you are putting effort to grow yourself for, it's worth checking out. And, and yeah. that uh, definitely... They're, they're throwing you a bone. Check them out. See if they got something you like and support them. But Yeah. And, and you're right. And there's a lot of ways to support, right? Because uh, I know, I mean, it, I've always called strongman sort of a poor man's sport. We 
for the most part, we're all paying everything out of our own pockets. It gets very expensive, but um, it's really important to to help out where where everybody can. I mean, spend a little bit of money here and there on on those sponsors because they are the reason that I mean, especially the bigger shows. The bigger shows you get to clash, you know, uh, the programs and whatnot. Um, they wouldn't happen without those sponsors. So absolutely, and Strongman is driven by all those show days too. And I mean, in between those show days, we just have memories and training reels and just social media. But when you're there on that day, you have all those combined efforts of the sponsors there in the moment. So it's like explore around a little bit, see what all what what implements you're lifting on, see what what vendors are around the arena too. And it's it's a beautiful thing to have so many different forces from so many different backgrounds come together to make these productions that keep the sport moving on its upward trajectory. But it's a, it's a yeah. symphony of strength, if you will. It is. Which is it super is. important because otherwise, like, it's not very sustainable if you're just having sponsors do things purely out of charity or the kindness of their hearts because you know that is hard for sponsors when they're like, I went there, set up my booth, no one bought anything. People just tried a few free samples. No one followed the social media. So it's those small things of if you don't have money, follow people's social media, share their videos, like interact of like, it does help things. We are in a click driven economy. So your clicks are something you can do for free. Yeah. That is like, makes a huge difference of those a like, exposures. A like, a view, a follow, a subscription, a download, it all goes a long way. I mean, you know, if you like you say, you don't have the ability to directly financially support, that's one way to do it. So you find someone you like or they're putting out a good message or their mission statement aligns with yours, show them some support. Hit that thumbs up. Hell yeah. That's what I'm talking huge. about. Yeah. So um, what was I going to ask? I know you'd mentioned it before. You th you're thinking of moving out from Texas, right? Yeah. My So my wife and that's I got plan. married. We got married in Colorado in Rocky Mountain National Park back in 2018, earlier in the year when Darren and I first met. Uh, and we fell in love with it. I, I love it up there. I love the climate. I love the mountains. There's a part of my soul that just wakes up when I'm there in the mountains. And we've always wanted to move there. So I'm hoping within the next year we're able to make that happen. But I know I'm the Texas Titan, but I'm at some point the Texas Titan is going to become a mountain surrogate. And uh, <laughs> Nice. Yeah, gotta get away. From do you that. have a do you have a place in mind that you you want to settle down up here? Or? We've got a couple places, but I will say the Colorado Springs area seems to be very appealing. We did spend a lot of time in Southwest Colorado, uh, in Durango this past year, and that that has a special place in our heart now too. But uh, it, we're gonna have to narrow it down a little bit more. But we know it's gonna be somewhere there in the mountains. Yeah, man. Well, if you're up here, uh, I I know you love to hike. Uh, I like to hike. I've been rucking more. That's something that, that I let go for many years doing strongman. I didn't get out and hike as much. I used to be very avid outdoorsman getting out. Uh, my actually goal this summer is to go down and in, into Southwest of the San Juan mountains and hopefully hike back the Caneos river and, and fly fish for a few days and in the back country away from everybody. <laughs> wow. That's the San Juan mountain range is my favorite uh, part of the state. It really is. I uh, Being here in South Texas, I live in the Rio Grande Valley. So, I mean, the Rio Grande River starts right up there in the San Juan Mountains. And right after the Shaw Classic last year, we drove across the state to Durango. And on one of the days, my daughter and I, she was four or, no, no, five or six months at the time. 
I took her in the car with me and we drove all the way off roading up there to the top of the San Juans to the mouth or to the headwaters of the Rio Grande River. And that's just an incredible memory that I'll have for the rest of my life. But it's awesome. beautiful up there, man. Just pristine alpine wilderness. And I can't get enough of it. It's making me want to go on a road trip right now just talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> How's snow up there? Oh, there's still a lot of snow up here, man. Well, I don't know about Southwest. I, don't, I, don't, I haven't really got down to Southwest uh, Colorado yet. Uh, so it'll be a bit of an adventure for me when I go. I'm hoping to go later in the summer. I don't know. I'm sure there's snow there. Yes, there's snow where you are. There's going to be snow. There's definitely snow where I am. I asked that enviously because we're already in the triple digits here on some days. And I uh. last week it got to a point where I checked the forecast for the 10 days. And this is the time of the year where I'm just not going to look at the forecast anymore because it's all disappointment. Yeah. So I'm going to probably have some surprise road trips that bring me up there, but I have to get some training. In. Well, Colorado, you'll learn. Is literally the weather is literally bipolar. Oh, I know. Um, <laughs> I know. We, it'll be sixty degrees one day and like blizzarding, freezing the next. I love that aspect of it. Too. <laughs> actually, get changes uh, in the seasons. We only have two seasons here: hot and just a little bit yeah. less hot. So, yeah. and sometimes a weird freeze that just kills your trees. And yeah, it's it just like a miserable like three days. It kills you. Like it destroys the grid. That's the one that we got to worry about. Yeah. Right? Just that sketchiness. Where are you in Texas, John? I'm here up in Hutto, Texas, just slightly north gotcha. of Austin. Gotcha. So it's like it's basically part of Austin. Yeah. All the time, people they're like, "Oh, like Hutto is basically Austin." So that's why it's like it's nice. We moved here back in 2015 because I was tired of like winters and everything. But we have briefly talked about possibly moving at some point because it is just like at this point, all we have is like. It's weird because we some of the worst winters we've ever had have been here in Texas because of the power grid just being so terrible. It's like you don't get a fun like several weeks of like fun snow. It's just like a miserable freezing rain week where you lose your power and your trees and like your neighbor's pets die in the cold and then it's just gone. And the next week it's 80 degrees. Yeah, that's the thing is Texas is not used to it. So when we do have that cold snap, it's like everything goes to hell. But, you know, Colorado or any of the other more temperate areas, especially along the, the Rockies, the Appalachians, they expect it. So, I mean, drivers know what to do. The electric grid knows what to do. Got- I, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. Don't don't hold your breath with the drivers know what to do. Okay. <laughs> you, you get into the Denver area and, and it's grown so much. We've got so many people who are about to stay here now. Uh yeah, it's it can be a little frightening with a, with a dusting of snow. <laughs> but as bad as it is compared to Texas yeah. when we had that big piece in February uh last year, the year before. You think of all those pileups that happened on the Dallas highways. And those videos are crazy. <laughs> nuts and i was driving back from oklahoma right at the time when those pileups happened so i remember on the way home you know passing between dallas and austin there was black ice everywhere on the highways i remember several times being in the little suv where it would start skidding if you weren't in that left lane but drivers here aren't ready for it they, they don't know what to do that's the thing there's no no one has ice chains here no one knows no yeah, one's, nobody knows <laughs> two-wheel drive yeah, no, especially because I was surprised because my wife Andy had to work at Target the whole time during that freeze, which is crazy to have like no power at home and still have to go to work because like people are so mind things. But I was like, how is it? I was like, since it's mainly only trucks out there, like it shouldn't be too bad. And she was like, 
Well, it's trucks with no tire chains and nothing in the back to weigh it down. So they're just fishtailing all around. And I was like, okay, so they're not actually useful trucks. They're just kind of like, <laughs> <laughs> they're just aesthetic trucks who are not prepared for this. That's what Texas is about a lot of aesthetic trucks. Except <laughs> the, the ranchers in the rural part of Texas. If you're in the city and you got a truck, it's, yeah. And, uh, that's I don't true. Worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's exciting. I think change is always nice and everything. So then. It'll be the Colorado Colossus or whatever fun nickname you go with. Yeah, we'll see, man. Colorado Colossus. That's got a nice ring to it. Man. Yeah, I think it does. That's like it's sometimes I have good ideas, like telling Tom Evans he should ask the film students at the University yeah. of Delaware to make his YouTube. We need to follow up with that. <laughs> we should. I was like, that's a huge free resource to be but you know the the rule is it cannot be adorned as a nickname unless it's shouted out in competition. So oh, true. Colorado Colossus to stick once I've moved up there. Yeah. John, I got to get you in the crowd and you got to have a <laughs> megaphone <laughs> scream it out. All right. Let everyone hear. That's true. I actually do want to take a trip to Colorado. I was only out as in Littleton and Denver back in 2010 or so. And it it's was grown nice. a lot since then. Oh, yeah. Everything's grown a lot. I spent a year out in San Francisco in 2010 and it's definitely just only gotten worse out there. So. Texas has been nice, but sometimes it does like it. I think change is always good and stuff in general. I think that change in climate, because I do sometimes miss that variety or like having the milder because otherwise the weird extremes of just like hundred plus degree weather and then like a weird random freeze for a week. Like yeah. I like having a fun snow day, like Darren's pictures in Colorado of like shoveling snow in shorts because it's somehow 70 degrees <laughs> after a snow day well it's the sun it's the sun the, yeah. the mile high sun is so warm here um for, uh, this winter was weird uh it started snowing we got pretty heavy snow in december and a couple more following that snow just melted and i've been here for a decade every year previously all that snow would have been gone the next day this was a kind of a weird year in my experience um, because the sun is so hot and I have a south facing house. So everything just, it, there's almost no point in shoveling most times when it snows here. So it just melts right away, even when it's below freezing. Huh. Yeah. I've definitely noticed that when I've gone up to the mountains to higher altitude, even just mile high in Denver, that it can be 70 degrees outside. But if you are standing under that sun, man, True. there's no clouds in the sky, you're cooking. Yeah, I've made the mistake going fly fishing in, in the summertime. I'm like, oh, I'm going up to 11,000 elevation. It's going to be nice and cool. So, uh, you know, or like, but the sun's going to be warm. So I'll take, you know, wear a tank top or take my shirt off. And next thing I know, like, I'm just, I'm just crisp. Yeah. That, that sun is just so hot. My rowdiest sunburns have been at the really high altitude areas in the winter. Like after when I met you for the first time in 2018, after I won that competition narrowly ahead of you, <laughs> yeah the next day we went and did our first winter 14er uh quandary peak over near breckenridge and the reflection of the sun in that high altitude area right off the snow just bouncing on my face i had the craziest like goggle sunburn and just completely toasty but it's something else it's yeah something when we get here in texas that being said i would trade it any day for this 100 percent humidity that we have all the time yeah. we're it dude colorado is a uh, is a little a little slice of heaven. Yeah, it is. That's why I was, because I'm from, so I'm originally from uh, eastern Montana, western North Dakota, where it gets brutally, brutally cold in the summer, I mean the winter, and very, very hot and humid in the summer. 
So we have like the worst extremes on both ends there. Uh, I don't miss any of it. And coming here, the only thing I don't like, Colorado is really, really dry. There's no very, very low humidity here, which kind of sucks. But the weather, you just can't beat it. Yeah. Especially if you love seasons. Yeah. Yeah. Because South Texas, though, like going down to Laredo, it's impossibly hot there in the summer. Yeah. Of just like right there by the river and everything. Or even like, further south than that, too, right? Oh, like, man. I, I cannot imagine. It was, I'm telling you, when I, when I looked, Last week or the the week before, when I stopped checking the forecast, I was so discontented with the the weather we had here. I looked at all my favorite destinations along the northern part of the country. We got Montana in the teens, Colorado was twenty four, like even California was getting their cold snaps too. And there was just a red circle of doom right over the Rio Grande Valley where I'm at. Just you should not be here, Gabe. What are you doing? Everywhere else is fine. But well, well, get up here, man. I will. I will. It's it's never too late. Yeah, I'll get up there soon. As soon as I can, I promise you that. All right, man. Well, we're we're almost on an hour and oh, ten yeah. minutes. We usually try to keep these to about an hour. Um, had a lot of other questions I wanted to ask you, but we'll save them for next time. Yeah, let's. Uh, we'll definitely be open to doing it next time and good, man. Questions that pop up to you five minutes after we stop. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's always the best. Once I quit end recording because like Streamyard, the platform we use, you can't. You can't restart the stream. Yeah. It's like once you've ended, it's like that's there. And that it's always true. happens. As no, soon is- as we're like, any last thoughts? It's over. Just just stay hungry, everyone out there. Stay hungry. Sometimes, especially if you're following this path, it can very often become a, a hard path to walk. And we have got to see over the course of the past year, especially a lot more athletes who are competing at the top level acknowledge how mentally draining and fatiguing this sport can be. It's tough on all of us, but don't lose sight of the forces that got you in this in the first place, and don't be so eager to compare yourself to everyone else. This is you versus you. You are always your biggest rival. Stay hungry, keep doing the work, and achieve greatness. Couldn't have said it better, man. Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Gabe. Great seeing you again. I look forward to the next time. Support us on Patreon or Anchor, and find us on Instagram or Facebook.